0: From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, is intracameral lidocaine worthwhile?
1: There's a considerable amount of published data comparing topical anesthesia alone to topical anesthesia with intracameral anesthesia, and we conducted this systematic review to analyze the results of the different trials. To help guide cataract surgeons and patients in their choice of anesthesia.
0: First, this in order to provide medical education free of commercial bias, as seen from here, requires a financial interest disclosure before any podcast program. Dr. Ezra declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. The Open Ophthalmology Project at com is an enormous success with over 5,000 users in 57 countries. I have an announcement and a request about this open courseware ophthalmology project. First, I am happy to announce a dramatic improvement in functionality. Beginning this month, new versions of the 20 lecture optics series will be podcast. When you launch any of these new podcasts in iTunes, you'll see the word chapters appear on the menu bar. Each of the lectures has been divided by subtopic and you can navigate directly to the subtopic of your choice by clicking on the chapters menu item. If you are viewing the lectures on a computer, an iPhone, or an iPod Touch, you'll also see an improvement in video resolution, just in time for the OCAPS or the boards. I have a request. I want to solicit lectures for the Open Ophthalmology Project. Perhaps you have a lecture you would like to distribute to our large viewer base. Just email me, at jyoungmd at gmail.com. I'll be happy to have you on board, and so will ophthalmology residents from Dublin to Dubai. Come check it out at openophthalmology.com. Topical anesthesia has made cataract surgery simpler and reduces risk of damage to retrobulbar structures. But my idea of what constitutes topical anesthesia may not be the same as yours. Do you supplement topical agents with intracameral lidocaine? If so, why? If not, why not? The tenets of evidence-based medicine dictate that empiric findings should prescribe clinical practice. To help in this regard, I'm delighted to welcome Daniel Ezra as my guest today. How popular is topical anesthesia for cataract surgery?
1: Well, um, in a recent survey for the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgeons, it was found that about 61% of cataract surgeons in the U.S. are using topical anesthesia. And the figure in the U.K. is a little bit more difficult uh, to derive, but it's assumed to be at around 40%.
0: Daniel, can you give me some historical background on topical anesthesia for cataract surgery when it was introduced? Um, topical anesthesia
1: for phaco uh, was uh, first described by Fickman in 1992 um, as an ASCRAS meeting in San Diego. And since then, topical anaesthesia has really increased in popularity. And that's because the method is more cost-effective, provides for more rapid post-operative visual recovery without diplopia or or other complications. And um, it's really increased from about 8% in 1995 through to 51% in 2000, and as I said, up to about over 60% now.
0: Before we go on to discuss this topic further, let's define our terms. What constitutes topical anesthesia?
1: Topical anesthesia describes the application of anesthetic eye drops onto the cornea and into the conjunctival thornithesis. Now, the exact uh, regimen for administering the drops uh, varies between surgeons, but often two, uh, three, or maybe sometimes four different applications are made in the half an hour prior to surgery.
0: How common is intracameral supplementation?
1: And again, in a, in a recent survey uh, in the U.S., um, ab- about 75% of surgeons who use topical anesthesia supplemented that with intracameral uh, anesthetic.
0: What is the intracameral anesthetic agent that's typically used?
1: Well, almost universally, it's 1% lidocaine, unpreserved. And I'd just really like to stress that for the listeners, that it must be unpreserved. Uh, because uh, the preservatives have been described as causing uh, retinal and corneal toxicity.
0: Daniel, what was the purpose of your study?
1: Well, there's a considerable amount of published data comparing topical anesthesia alone to topical anesthesia with intracameral anesthesia for mortification. Now, the data in many of these trials is confl- uh, leads to conflicting outcomes. And we conducted this systematic review to analyze the results of the different trials, to collate the information regarding the value of uh, this additional intervention and try and reach some kind of coherent conclusion so as to help guide cataract surgeons and patients in their choice of anaesthesia.
0: Can I get you to describe the design of your study?
1: Yeah, this was a systematic review. That means to say that um, its conclusions and results are reproducible according to the steps laid out uh, in the study. And we performed a meta-analysis, a statistical synthesis of all the data that we collected in the trials. The study began um, with a series of searches, and we employed electronic searches of the common databases, including Embase, uh, Medline, Lilacs, and uh, Central, which is the Cochrane Central Library of Randomized Control Trials. And we also manually searched um, the Science Citation Index for uh, appropriate studies. And we were looking for randomized control trials comparing topical anesthesia alone with topical and intracameral anesthesia. Now, a very important part of the review was to uh, assess the quality of the the randomized trials. Now, just because uh, a paper may say it's a randomized controlled trial doesn't necessarily mean uh, that the conclusions of data are actually uh, particularly valid. Randomized control trials are open to many sources of bias. A crucial part of the review is to try to ensure that only quality data and quality trials are included. So all of the trials that we found from our searches were assessed for the main sources of bias, uh, such as selection bias, which relates to allocation concealment, performance bias, uh, which relates to um, masking, of observers' and participants' detection bias relating to masking of the, of, the, of the assessment of the results and attrition bias, which looks at intention to treat uh, issues. We then performed a statistical meta-analysis of the data in accordance with uh, the guidelines from the, Co- from the Cochrane database, and we were then able to draw conclusions from that.
0: We've discussed the Cochrane database in a previous podcast, but can I get you to describe it briefly now?
1: The Cochrane database is a unique resource of systematic reviews free at the point of use, and, de- and it deals with the most important issues in different medical specialities and typically those with large numbers of randomized control trials. And the goal of the review is to synthesize the data and, if possible, to provide clinical and research recommendations. <clears throat> now, the reviews are rigorously reviewed by experts in meta-analysis and in trial design and the reviews are updated regularly so as to make sure that they stay up to date. So it's an up-to-date assessment of the evidence affecting uh, the most important issues in different medical specialities.
0: The Cochrane database lets you query the findings of multiple studies that conform to a certain standard.
1: Yeah I mean each of the uh, different medical specialities is uh, categorized in quite a complex yet straightforward manner. Um, so you can look into any particular area that you want to see the trials that are available. And they tend to deal with very specific questions, very much like the one that we're discussing now. Each of these questions typically uh, will have been addressed by several randomized control trials. Randomized control trials don't always give the same answers. And the idea of the review is to try and form some kind of coherent synthesis between these uh, different papers and different studies and, and reach, some, reach a coherent conclusion and a summary recommendation.
0: What were your primary and secondary outcome measures? The primary outcomes were measures of pain or discomfort
1: during surgery and after surgery, and also the measures of patient satisfaction with anesthesia.
0: And what were your inclusion criteria for the meta-analysis? We included
1: all randomized control trials comparing topical anesthesia alone with topical anesthesia and intracameral anesthesia either in two eyes of the same patient or in different patients. And and we also included studies which used either oral or intravenous sedation in addition to the, uh, the topical anesthesia. We excluded studies which were, we felt were biased by exclusion of more difficult operative cases, and there were quite a few of those. Uh, for example, those which excluded patients with very hard nuclei or those with smaller pupils. Uh, and we also excluded studies uh, assessing only patients with Fuchs endothelial dystrophy.
0: What were your findings with regard to intraoperative discomfort?
1: All of the trials uh, gave some measure of intraoperative discomfort, and we were able to analyse this in several different ways. And we consistently found uh, that the use of supplementary intracameral uh, lidocaine uh, led to decreased intraoperative discomfort. Now, it's important to point out that all of the pain scores were were, were low, uh, both in the uh, topical alone group and in the supplementary intracameral group. So all the scores were low, but they were significantly lower, well, statistically significantly lower, in the group using intracaromal
0: What role did systemic sedation play in these cases? Quite an, an important question. I mean, one of the most difficult things about forming a,
1: a meta-analysis is trying to coherently group together several different trials which have used different methodologies. And we found that some of the trials that we included used systemic sedation and some did not. There are several powerful statistical tools to investigate whether there was heterogeneity in the results between these different trials and we found that there was no statistical heterogeneity at all that's to say that um, from a statistical point of view the use of systemic sedation did not lead to overall decrease in pain scores that is a statistical inference and it may well be uh, explained by the fact that all the scores were quite low. So we may have had some heterogeneity there, but that was masked by the overall low pain scores. But our results did show that there tended to be no difference between the studies that either used or didn't use
0: systemic sedation. Daniel, what about post-operative discomfort? Well, a small number of
1: studies looked at post-operative discomfort, and we found no difference Uh, in in post-operative discomfort between the groups. So in terms of uh, pain perception, it really was just intraoperative pain that the intracameral uh, supplementation was effective
0: for. What were your findings regarding corneal toxicity? Corneal toxicity
1: was addressed by a number of the trials and They looked at preoperative and postoperative measures of endothelial cell counts, corneal thickness, and anterior chamber activity, and they found that there was no difference between the two groups in terms of those parameters. However, we did find that uh, there was heterogeneity, statistical heterogeneity, between the different trials. That may well have been due to the fact that the measures were taken uh, at different postoperative times in the different trials, and also because some of the measures, particularly of endothelial cell counts, may have been taken with different equipment. Or indeed, uh, in some of the older trials, the endothelial cell counting was tended to be more operator dependent and, and quite notoriously variable. So I think we have to interpret that with some caution, because we did identify some heterogeneity between the trials.
0: Aside from corneal toxicity, what adverse events were identified?
1: Well, most of the randomised control trials that we looked at uh, also recorded the number of uh, intraoperative complications. Uh, These were very low in all the different trials, but we found that there was no difference in intraoperative complications between the two groups.
0: Now we get sort of to the nitty-gritty. How do you interpret the comfort data? Are are the differences sufficient in magnitude to demonstrate a clinically important anesthetic advantage to intracameral supplementation?
1: Yeah, as you say, that is the million-dollar question. And it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, The pain literature itself um, tends to be very concerned with how to translate statistically significant differences uh, in pain scores, uh, typically surrounding an intervention, into clinically significant ones. And there have been several different methods which have been suggested Now, in the context of our study designs... Uh, the only one that's really appropriate is to look at rescue anesthesia. That's to say, looking at the numbers of patients in the two groups who needed to have the anesthesia supplemented, and this tended to be in the form of subtenons or peribulba anesthesia. Now, this data was included in many of the trials, and we found no difference in the use of rescue anesthesia between the two groups. Uh, however, none of the trials specifically mentioned the criteria that they set out for administering rescue anesthesia. So it's very, very difficult to draw any conclusions from this. But on the other hand, uh, there is a school of thought that says that any consistent reduction in pain is important and meaningful. And I think in, our, in the context of our meta-analysis, in the absence of any other measure of clinical significance, I think we have to Take this consistent and statistically significant reduction that we've measured as being meaningful, but but it is a very difficult question to answer. So we have found a statistical difference. We have found that the pain scores are consistently lower and significantly lower in the intracameral group, but it's very very difficult to answer whether or not that is clinically significant, um, and indeed whether simply a consistent reduction in pain itself uh, is sufficient.
0: Daniel, based on the findings of your study, what are your recommendations for cataract surgeons? The important thing to
1: stress here is that whilst in the course of this interview, we've highlighted many of the reservations and cautions associated with the data and, the conclu- and some of the uh, conclusions we've reached, that there's still a very significant amount of data supporting the use of intracameral anesthesia uh, in reducing pain. So, we would recommend that the use of intracameral, unpreserved lidocaine is, m- is a safe and effective supplement for patients undergoing small incision, phaco-emulsification, and that it reduces interoperative pain, although the effect is small. And when we talk about safety in this context, we're referring to the lack of evidence of any increased risk of intraoperative complications or corneal toxicity. So, But but again, importantly, you know, we can't be too precipitous in in recommending this without any reservation at all. And we just have to have a little bit of caution when we're interpreting these results. But the bulk of the data does seem to support its use.
0: Daniel, you're a Moorfields fellow. What do the cataract surgeons at Moorfields do?
1: Yeah, well, um, at Moorfields, I mean, in the the UK itself, um, because of the changing uh, nature of healthcare delivery, uh, we're becoming much more cost-effective, and uh, cost-conscious. And um, that's really given us the impetus to try uh, and develop uh, topical anesthesia, rapid turnover, topical anesthesia, phacoid surgery. Um, most people at Moorfield now are using topical anesthesia, and we're also using intracameral lidocaine. It's a cheap, uh, quick, uh, and, and effective treatment, and uh, most of the surgeons feel that it's uh, sending their own experience, that it reduces uh, pain
0: Daniel Ezra, thank you so much.
1: Okay, all the best, Josh. Nice to speak to you.
0: Daniel Ezra is a clinical research fellow at the Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, United Kingdom. His paper, Supplementary Intracameral Lidocaine for Emulsification Under Topical Anesthesia, a Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials, is in press in ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Ezra or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 20 8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website, as asseenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.